I was handed what some people might say a pretty crappy hand from the moment I took my first breath. I was already disabled before I even knew what disabled was. I was already there. I didn't ask for that. I'm Yvette Walker, the host of the Positively Joy podcast, where we discover that joy is not a feeling, it's faith. You can find previous episodes at PositivelyJoy.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. However you found yourself here, you are welcome, and I believe it was truly God-destined. We are in Season 3, and this season has taken the podcast into the vantage point of what joy is. I'd like you to listen to each episode this season through the lens of how Jesus Christ defines joy. John chapter 15, verse 11 reveals this when Jesus tells us to keep the Father's commandments and abide in His love. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Enjoy, and I pray you receive the message the Father has for you. Author Michaela Cox is legally blind. She's devastatingly funny. She's raw and honest. And she is all that because of how she handles what she calls the triple Ds. It's not what you expect. But if you feel you've been dealt a bad hand in life, she'll tell you how to deal with it. Here's Michaela. Hi, Michaela. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. We're really glad you're here. Uh, Michaela, you are an author, actually a seven-time published author, and you have written, your books are uh, about a lot of different subjects, but in many cases, they are really tell us your story in different ways. Uh, And so I want to kind of start with that because I want to talk about your work and your idea of 38 triple D, which is not what you think, listeners, (laughs) but we're going to get to that in a minute. But before we do, I love for our listeners to get to know you a little bit better. So um, tell us a little bit about you. Um, I'm Michaela S. Cox. I'm an author. I've been writing most of my life. I don't ever remember not writing. It's always been a part of me, part of my journey. It's just who I am. It's what I do. I I don't think I could not do it even if I wanted to, but I don't. I love doing it. It just it resounds with me. It flows out of me. I mean, I was writing as a kid. I was one of those weird kids who somehow in second grade got the idea of, I have something to say, so I need to put it out there. So let me go write an editorial and submit it to my local newspaper and make matters more oddball. I did it on politics. I mean, what second grader eight years old does that? I don't know, but I did whatever. I don't know if that's good or bad or what that means as a kid, but there you go. So, and then I wrote my first poem in fourth grade. Obviously not what I write now, but the seeds were planted then. And so I just... I write what my heart is, my heartfelt meditations on things that I'm passionate about and know about and care about. And I just put it out there, you know. Mm. And actually, that was the title, Heartfelt Meditations of that that early book of poetry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if I'm not writing, I'm thinking about it, you know. So Yeah. Well, you know, and the poetry is interesting because, you know, Amanda um, Gorman, who spoke at the inauguration uh, this right. year, I mean... A, a lot of people really um, kind of uh, took to what she was saying and and she um, her poetry has gone kind of far and wide now. I think that I think that every so often a poem comes out and people really connect with it and they're like, oh, yeah, poetry, you know, the poetry comes back to us. You know, I think it I think yes. it kind of comes and goes and um, well, it's a beautiful 
art form of the written word that really kind of connects with the soul if that's your thing. And I mean, you may not do it all the time, but it does. The one that you usually that finds you usually tends to stick with you a lot. Like I'll never forget reading Robert Frost in high school and the, you know, the one about I'm a horrible quoter. I can't quote worth a dang and get it right half the time. But you know, the, the, the road less traveled and, you know, I've always loved that one. Right. Right. And even, even bad poetry can really connect with us. I was a big Rod McEwen, yeah. Rod McEwen fan when I was when I was in elementary yeah. school, and he's he's probably not the best poet, but I, I loved his work, and so, um, so yeah, yeah. Well, but I will let it be known I'm not one of those poets that does rhyme and meter, and you know, you're I am no, I do free verse. I'm not that good. Every once in a while, I'll get lucky and some rhyme and meter come out of it, but I'm like, I don't even try because I know I ain't gonna do it. Well, so I'll never be a Shakespearean sonnet type of girl. I mean, I love them, but I can never write like that. It's just not how I work. Oh, yeah. Well, and I don't think that anything that one is bad or good or one is no. better or worse than the other. I, I just think it's what comes to you and yeah, then what connects with it, other people. I want people to know what we're talking about because they may get a different impression and you're like, what? This is not what I was expecting. Like, what's up? I'm like, no, that ain't me. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you have a very interesting life story. And so let's jump yeah. into the let's jump into the 38 Triple D because that's gonna tell us a little bit about that. And right. I think that will kind of background some of the writing that you've done. So uh 38 Triple D actually stands for go ahead. A lifelong disability. So I've never had a legal blindness. I've never had a day or taken a breath where I wasn't disabled or didn't have what would might be considered by some people's standards or by the medical field insurmountable odds. And, you know, obstacles and challenges and difficulties to have to contend with every day. It will never change. It's always going to be because mine's permanent. There's no medical um, fix to it, per se, or at least the root of it. They could probably fix the astigmatism, but the root of it you're still contending with, which I don't mind explaining. But that's the first one. So I came to the world that way, literally. Uh, and I'll go out that way um, at some point, whenever that time comes. Um, the the second D is Divorce at 26. That was an interesting show uh, story. That's that's a whole other conversation in itself that would actually probably go into the Sex in the City type of conversation um, <laughs> for another show. But um, And then the last one is um, when I was 38 in a blink of an eye four years ago, just over four years ago, um, I lost my beloved husband unexpectedly and suddenly and um, the father of my children and became a solo mom. Mm-hmm. So you have been, you're living with a disability um, and, and lost, you know, lost your, your love of your life and a single mom. Um, you put yourself through school though. I mean, you got, you know, you got a degree and I believe it was political science. That was my master's um, undergraduate. Um, when I was in college, uh, right out of high school, I did a BA in sociology with a double minor in English and history. And then I did do graduate school in New Hampshire when I was living up there with my husband that passed away. I did um, political science and American government and a grad certificate in ancient classical history. And if y'all haven't figured out by now, no, I cannot just do one thing. <laughs> and I think a lot of this brought you to um, be very interested in, in culture. Yes. Uh, and then also you have a strong faith. Yes. So, and I also travel but no one's really traveling right now <laughs> you know no no one's tra- we hope to we, I mean, we okay, hope to travel. we'll get there but you know i i have i have traveled when it was you know a long time ago and when we were all normal you know before this pre-crap pandemic stuff of 2020 but um i do love to travel and i enjoy seeing different parts of the world and cultures and learning so 
yeah. And so just just so our our audience can understand, you mentioned you have astigmatism. Um, so um, your it's your way, level of blindness. So it's way more complicated than that. That's just part of it. Um, okay, for the ones, and I'm not a medical background so any medical providers are gonna be like girl you are so screwing that up they're like <laughs> don't how to explain it but the way it's always been told to me is um there's blind like totally blind which is actually how I was born I was totally blind when I was born like darkness like nothing mm-hmm. and then my background and my family and my story at seven months old we believe a miracle was done because I was able to see and I was given my sight is although be it impaired so mm-hmm. I see now it's just impaired um Legal blindness, what that means, at least in America, I don't know about if it is a universal definition in other countries, but I know in America, this is what it means. It is defined as blindness being defined within the parameters of what the law allows for being defined and considered blind, which when you go to your eye doctor and you're getting like your visual acuity test, like you're the perfect mean of vision is 2020 vision. And the further mm-hmm. you get away from that, the more impaired you are. So, you know, most people may have 2050 or 2030 or 2080 or whatever, whether corrected or uncorrected. The definition of legal blindness means you are 2200 vision or 2400 vision uncorrected. And that is how the law defines you to be blind within the confines of the parameters of the law. That is the legal definition. So So it's to be legally blind. Mm-hmm. And, and again, just to help people understand, and I can speak, and actually I can speak you know, from, um, from history on this, when you are in the doctor's office and you are looking at the screen with the big E on top, what does that mean to be 2200, 2200? Can you even know that anything is there? And I, and I, I really, I'm asking cause I want people to understand. Yeah. No, that's not going to bother me at all. That doesn't bother me. I, I'm, I, I invite these questions because this is how people learn, how they get educated, mm-hmm. how you start a dialogue and, and, you know, and on and on. So it doesn't bother me. I'm an, I'm truly an open book. Um, it has to do with like each one of those, it does start with a big E and then each proceeding line after that is big. And then it slowly, slowly goes down by degree of smaller and smaller. And, However far you can read or anyone can read on that eye chart tells you what how good your vision is if you're reading at 2030 or 2040. Now, the less you can do means you're not going as far down on the chart. The crappier your vision is and you're probably sitting at whatever range and, you know, you may be able to see that it's there, but you may not be able to, you know, spout off the letters and the numbers on the lines or the whatever, you know. Right. And that's right. one way that they determine what would be considered your visual ability or your acuity basically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and for yourself, can you, how, can you, can you see the top line? Can yeah. you read it? Yeah. It's, it's hard. And I haven't, it's hard. Yeah. A long time, but I can. Yeah. Just okay. Okay. So it is and what conditions and if I've really tired, I might be able to get two or three lines or four lines or whatever. I don't know. I don't right. Gotcha. Gotcha. So just, so just to, to have I don't the, know that often because it's going to be the same. <laughs> it yeah. don't matter. It's the same diagnosis. It just may determine, are you a little bit closer to it or a little bit further away on whatever given day it is? And it's still going to be the same diagnosis and they ain't nothing they can do for it. So there's no reason to go in and not change it. So, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, you, and this, you said you've lived with this since, since birth. So, yeah. but you have, but you have a faith. And so I wonder, were there times when you were coming up and you were, you were in college and, you know, college is very difficult um, were you, you know, did you, did you ask God, you know, why, you know, why did you do this to me? Have you ever questioned oh, any of that? How have yeah. you? 
I've never questioned that part of my life because I knew from a young age, the story was I had sight when I shouldn't have had sight. So I mm -hmm. considered it blessed. Now that's not to say that there hasn't been trials or frustration or struggles or difficulties that at time are very hard for me to contend with. And I've done, I think a pretty good job of, while I can't move it out of my way, but getting around it and still trying to find success and thriving despite that. And there, I'm not saying there aren't bad days or bad moments, but I always saw it as that I still am blessed because I could have been totally blind my whole life instead of just having the situation of going through life with sight, although be it impaired. So it could have been how I was originally born and that God was gracious and kind and um, allowed me to have that situation change and create that miracle in my life to allow me to go forward doing. And I was always raised with the idea of there's a reason, there's a purpose, there's nothing done, not for a reason. And maybe it's because people will see, not that I'm saying I'm, Oh, look at me. I'm not saying that, but God will use that because people will see what I'm doing despite my challenges and maybe get to hear my story and pointing, point them back to him and maybe he'll be glorified through it. Amen. Amen. Yeah. And he can use me for his purposes, knowing that part of my story. You know, like I said, it doesn't mean I'm perfect at it or I have all the answers or it's always a walk in the park or something, but it is what it is. And I was raised with the idea, um, the doctors never really knew why, because we know how doctors are. They don't necessarily always want to go with the whole faith thing. And so they're like, yeah, okay, if we can't prove it, if there isn't a reason, then I don't think so. Mm -hmm. But And there's no family history in my family. So it was like kind of seen as like a fluke. Like there's no empirical evidence or background to substantiate this, why it was this way and how it got changed and why you're able to do what you do. And so they were never sure what would be the reality for me within that situation. So they were always telling my parents, well, don't expect her to do this. Or we don't think, you know, we don't know, but she may not be able to like whatever. And so my parents were always of the opinion, like, well, let's just see what she can do. Let's let her always try mm -hmm. and see what happens. And as long as she's doing her best and never quitting and never giving up and never stopping, then let's see how far she goes. And maybe she'll just do it anyway. And so that's what I've always done. I've, I've never given up. I'm not, that's not to saying that I don't have days of frustration where I feel like I should give up. <laughs> but I mean, I'm still human after all, you know, I'm not superwoman. But um, I've always had the mentality of the idea of you don't quit, you don't give up, you persevere, you push through, you do what you got to do and you do it your dang self because no one's going to do it for you. And um, excuse my French. I don't really know how to say it any other way. Um, I'm going to do it just to prove your ass wrong. Cause I'll be danged if you're going to tell me no. Right. Right. And right. Right. I can hold my beer and watch me. <laughs> think, no, I don't think so. You want to play that game? Okay. Just watch. Have fun. Watch, watch the show. Mm -hmm. And it's so and having that attitude is, I think, been part of the reason why it's taken me as far as I haven't been able to do what I do because I don't let it now there are some things I will never be able to do there's just no getting around it you don't want legal blindness on the road okay that ain't a good idea that, that that don't work that don't mix they ain't no good for nobody so that's just not gonna happen no matter what I want it just shouldn't happen it doesn't need to happen so I find other ways of doing things mm -hmm. but aside from certain things like that then i pretty much I may take me longer to do things or I may have to do things in a different way or come up with a different strategy to do the same thing as somebody else, but I'm still trying to do it and, and live a normal, productive, you know, whatever life you want to call it or try to. Well, very productive considering everything that you've done. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. Okay. So the, 
the last the last two D's both have mm-hmm. to do with loss, with the D for divorce and then the D for death. Yes. Um, can you talk a little bit about how that how you how your faith helped you get through that those those parts of your life? Well, for the ones that know what we're talking about of the Christian faith and being women of, or people of faith, but in our case, women of faith, because obviously we're women, so you know, hey. Um, if you're, I was raised in it. Like I, you know, in the South, you pretty much, <laughs> you're going, okay? You're up there every time the doors are open, okay? You come into this <laughs> world in the pew as soon as you can go, okay? You're going Sunday morning, you're going Sunday night, you're going Wednesday night, you're going, you know, <laughs> It's just what you do. It's a way of life as a culture. So, um, and then also not only that, I was um, predominantly in private Christian school. So I was in Bible class every day, Monday through Friday and did chapel once or twice a week. And then I was getting on Wednesday night and Sunday morning and Sunday night. So, you know, I was kind of immersed in it. And I chose to be a believer. I don't remember much of my life before that at five, but I mean, who remembers much before five anyway? But um, we're taught in scripture to lean on them. And that's where we get our strength from and our you know, perseverance from runs a good race, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I can, I, number one, I agree, but as you said, we're human and uh, sometimes it's, things are still hard. Yes. And sometimes we know we should lean on him, but it's hard and we, and some people fall away and then some people come back. Um, But, you know, being, you know, losing your husband and being a single mom, that's a lot thrown at you. Um, And then also the disability. So, um, but disability piece has always been. So it's not like one morning I woke up and had a different reality. It's always been my reality. So I don't know what not to live normal per se related to being disabled or not. It's just my only reality. So I just, Mm -hmm. I kind of got the hang of that one a long time ago for the most part. Um, as far as what I knew to develop the mechanisms and the coping mechanisms and the life strategies and life hacks, you know, to keep doing what I do. Mm-hmm. So I, that's no new news for me, per se. Now, right. I will say I had to maybe get a little more creative when becoming a solo mom and not having a partner anymore. I had to get a little more like, okay, this is more interesting. But it was stuff of habits and patterns that I already knew. I just had to go back and implement them more and get more um I guess, strategic in doing so. Okay. Um, All of this makes up who you are. Mm -hmm. And as an author, that's going to feed into your books. So we, so we talked about, you know, one of your earlier books, a book of of poetry, heartfelt memories. Tell Mm -hmm. me a little bit about, you know, what it was like writing those and, and why that, um, why you wrote that book. Well, I started that one in like eighth or ninth grade. And one of the things about being visually impaired or legally blind is um, if you choose to do academia and want to do well at it, it takes a lot of time because one of the biggest pieces of my vision is it takes me longer to do things. So let's say someone reads, I don't know, five pages in a book, depending on the type of font and and size and yada, 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 30 minutes. Well, that's easily going to be 45 hour, hour and a half, maybe two hour project for me. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it takes me longer to do things. So when I'm in school, while I'm good at it, generally speaking, not in math, not so much. That's a different. <laughs> I'm liberal, <laughs> girl, okay? Math ain't my friend. I don't get along. You go oh, there, I'll go elsewhere. You go play with your friends. I'll go play with mine in the, the social sciences. I like the social sciences. We get along just fine. Yeah, I'm your kindred uh, sister there. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but, you know, but 
overall in school for me to do well in school, it takes a lot of time. Mm-hmm. So I don't like I didn't have a part time job in college because my job is school, period. That's all I do when I'm in school. So I started it in high school and I picked at it because I don't have a lot of time to do my stuff. And what I felt inspired to do at that time, because I was going to um, private Christian school, one of my English teachers showed me how I could use my gift to write what I want. And I was really into poetry at the time. So I got the idea of people that were important to me had favorite verses and I wanted to do something for them. So I would take their verse. Now I'm not saying I'm God. I'm not saying, you know, I can read the God of word, the God's word and know exactly what it says perfectly. I'm still human, but I felt like I wanted to look at scripture and scriptures and just really kind of dissect it and take it apart and expound upon it so that people could understand it better. And really trust God to kind of give me what he meant, you know, and just really try and do it accurately because I'm not God and I don't want to say that I'm speaking for him or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. So I took a bunch of poems that were important or scriptures and made them into poetry for the people that were important to me at the time. It was like my way of saying thank you. And then I wrote on that book to probably 2004 and then life happened, divorce, new marriage, moving to New Hampshire, motherhood and it came out in 2011 (laughs) (laughs) so you know that was that was an early book for you but yet you know your faith helped you helped you um help guide you in in that book project and then you had another book project where your faith also came into play and that was scripture spirituality in our culture um and tell us about that one when was that published and and where were you in life (laughs) when you wrote that book that came out in June of 2020. Um, I um, was already living back in Louisiana uh, after my husband passed because when he passed, we were living in New Hampshire and my parents are down here and a lot of my friends are. And so I decided to move back with my kids um, into, you know, after he passed in 2017. So we'd been living in Louisiana for right at a little over three years. And um, I had written this book and I decided it was time to publish it. And what I did was I basically took most of what I write now, like in politics and and faith and religion and spirituality and motherhood were all the percolations and mind maps and mind dumps and brainstorms that I got in grad school that I didn't have time to write because I was writing for all the professors in grad school for five years. And so I had to sit on them and percolate and just like, okay, I'll tuck it away. I'll get to it at some point. And then when I got out in 2016, I decided to organize and like see where I wanted to start. So I took one of those outlines that I had in grad school and just started writing it when I was in Louisiana. And then I put it out. And what I do is I get inspiration from all over the place. I'll hear a tidbit or I think, oh, that's a cool idea. I want to write on that. And I like having food for thought and reflections and conversations and dialogue. And let's say, this is what I'm thinking. What do you guys think? Let's talk about it. Let's, you know, just think about it and see how our I, our ideas and our thought processes can grow and expand and maybe that'll help us learn something new and in this case grow in our faith and understand word our the word better and how it all plays into society and culture and being in the world but not of the world but yet we have to be in this world and still be light and you know just that delicate balance you know mm-hmm. and tell me a little bit about the book itself I love music and so I feel like And I'll get to that in a minute. I feel like when you can add humor and a little cleverness and something light, it's a lot easier because politics and religion can be very polarizing and people Mm -hmm. are like, stay away from those topics. No, you can't talk about that. So I feel like if it's potentially going to be a hard subject for people, if you put it in with like a new, fresh, kind of light, humorous, clever 
shade to it, people are more open to look into it and it's easier to take. Like, oh, okay, this is not such a horrible, <gasps> bad conversation. We can't go there. We can't talk about it. You know, and then it's more easy to open up the dialogue. So I, t- I do love music. And so um, I like classic rock, among other things, but um, I've always liked um, Led Zeppelin. So one of the titles of the articles was Stairway to Heaven. And I talk about how we can't buy our Stairway to Heaven. It was a play on words, of course, but, you know. Yeah, interesting, interesting. And then I think was like a, our golden ticket of salvation. Like when you think about the lottery, what's your golden ticket, you know? Right. Ultimately, the, the lottery, because you get eternal life. I mean, you know, there's not, nothing can beat that. So, you know, just different ways of looking at things to kind of spark new thought processes on things and kind of make it relatable to people, you know? Gotcha, gotcha. Um, so you have said that life is a choice and the mindset is key. Yes. Tell us why that is important. And what does that mean? Okay, let's start with the first one. Life is a choice. I mean, okay, I was handed a what some people might say a pretty crappy hand from the moment I took my first breath. I was already disabled before I even knew what disabled was. I was already there. I didn't ask for that. I mean, you can't ask for anything when you're an infant, but that's mm-hmm. been my whole life. I now I did walk away from my first marriage. That was a choice. But what caused it to result in that was not my choice. He chose to do things that were not good for a marriage and made it unable to be sustainable and and thrive. And it was untenable. And so I chose to walk away from it. No, I did not choose to have a crappy first marriage and bad choices of someone that I had no control over, you know, that impacted both of us. I mean, because, I mean, come on, no one goes to the altar and say, yay, we're going to get divorced in three years. Let's do it. No, no one does that. Okay. Sorry. You're insane if you do that. No one does that. So I didn't choose to let that be a part of my life in the sense that I didn't seek out wanting to be divorced, but I am. And so, and I definitely didn't choose to lose the love of my life and have my, my very, at the time, very young children of six and three be without their father for the 90, whatever end up being their time on this, 90 to 97% of their lives. Right, right. We didn't ask for that crap show. But what I'm saying is we may be given certain circumstances. Think of it as like you're playing spades or hearts or poker, okay? Mm-hmm. You're passed out cards, a hand that's dealt, literally like the expression. And you didn't choose necessarily those cards out of that deck of cards. But as you're playing this game, you get to look at your hand of cards and say, okay, I'm going to play this card very strategically to hopefully reach the goal of the end game of doing well in this game and hopefully winning, okay? Okay. Or if you want to think more artistically, you're hired for a job, okay? And most artists, just like writers, have a certain style. They like working with certain things. It's what they enjoy. They know how to do it. it it's their their favorite ways of doing. But you're hired, so you have to do what the boss says, right? Mm-hmm. You work for them. They're paying you. You're going to do what they say. So they may tell you, well, you're going to work with clay or you're going to work with a canvas. And you may not like that canvas. You may not like clay. It may not be your style. You may not be very adept at it but because he's the person's the boss you have to do it so even though you're given a material of art to work with or a mode or a medium of art that's not your favorite you are still in control of what beautiful creation you're going to create in that space so I didn't choose the disability I didn't choose the divorce in the sense of what caused it I didn't choose to lose my husband but I am responsible for my choices and what I do within those circumstances and how I choose to handle them and I can choose to either let it define me 
or let me define it and how I'm going to live my life in spite of having those very interesting situations, not one, not two, but all three in a very short time period of years of life. Mm. And so did you have to practice self-care to get you through part of that? All right. You're jumping ahead. Let's okay. That's number three. So very good. You keep it, but let's do number two. Then we'll go to number three, but that's okay. very good. That is a part of this equation. Number two, I think makes a lot of sense. It's mindset. There's a reason why people say mind over manner and matter. And there's a reason why people say, hold your thoughts captive. If you want to go on the religious bent and why people like meditation and prayer and all those things, because mindset really does matter how we think about things. Now we may not be able to control the thoughts coming in our head or our feelings, and we have a right to those feelings and we're entitled to them, but we still get to choose once we process whatever's in our head, are we going to let it rule us? And now to me, I think this is the more challenging part. And I'm not saying I'm always perfect at it because Lord knows I have my not so cool days at the more not so positive end of the spectrum. And then, but then I have better days where like, okay, this is cool. I can do this, you know, whatever. But we have to be willing to choose, which goes back to the choice thing of what we do with our mindset. Are we going to be more pessimistic? Are we going to be more optimistic? Are we going to be of the mindset like, you know what? I don't care what it takes. I'm going to do this no matter what. I'm never going to quit. I'm never going to give up. I'm never going to stop. I'm going to find a way to do this. So yes, my mindset has been a choice, but it's still the mindset that I chose to live by. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah, no, it does. And I feel like mindset, not only is it important, but the mindset that we have can help us stay on track with the choices that we want to decide to live out. Because if you get negative, you're going to get maybe frustrated, you're going to get disheartened, and then you're not going to be able to stay on your course with the choices you want. And so the mindset can help you stay balanced, focused, centered. So that you can go forward with the choices you want to do and find your path because your choices can either take you one direction or another. But our mindset a lot of times plays in how well we are able to do those choices and keep to our path and like, okay, are we going to be able to be productive today? How's our mindset? You know, are we on fire? It's a good morning. Let's get going. You know, are we going to like, you know what? This sucks. I'm going back to bed. Bye. Or whatever. Take your pick. It's (laughs) crazy examples that I'm trying to do on the fly. You know, and then the third part that you so wonderfully mentioned, it is self-care. Now, I will admit, as a woman, as a mom who had the young mom when my daughter was eight months old, had the crazy, insane idea, hey, this is the perfect time to start grad school. You have an eight-month-old, but you're going to school. I'm like, what the heck was wrong with me that day? (laughs) Ah, What did I do? And then, of course, in grad school, I ended up having my son. And then I wrote my thesis when she was three and he was four months old and not sleeping through the night. That about killed me right there. But anyway, I lived to tell. I survived. Got out of grad school. (laughs) Never again. And I wasn't always the best at taking self-care because I had too much to do. I was a young mom. I had one, then two kids, and my husband was in school, and he was military, and sometimes he was out of town, and I was on the home front, you know. I didn't have readers this time in school and still disabled trying to do grad school with two kids, one, and then two kids at home, and, ah, you know, freak out. (laughs) I'm always feeling like, okay, I need to be writing a paper, but I have dishes, and the kid needs something, and I want to be with my husband, but... I didn't get the dishes because I'm writing the paper, but I did the dishes because I didn't get done the other day, but now I need to be, ah, you know, like if I'm not doing one, something's getting neglected and all this. So I didn't take a lot of self-care for my time because like I said, school takes a lot of time for me. When I got out of grad school in 2016, 
I literally got 20, 30 to 50 hours back in my week. That's not a job. That was how much I spent on grad school each week. Mm -hmm. And I didn't leave to go in an office. I literally, that was the amount that school takes for me to do and do well at it. But I got that much time, like someone's work week back in my week when I wasn't in school. So I was very busy. And so I didn't feel like I could take time for myself. And even if I did, this is the crazy thing about women, I think. One of our crazy things. What do we actually do? We feel guilty. Like, what the crap? I'm like, not only is it hard for us to decide to do it, then we have a guilt trip that we put on ourselves. Like, what's that Mm -hmm. all about? But what I think people feel like it's selfish to do that, but it's really not. Think of it as like this. And now I can't speak for guys. I don't know how they feel about it. And I don't know what they do with it. But as women, I know we can feel guilty about it. Because we're women who want to do all these amazing things. We want to be good wives. We want to be good moms. We want to be a good friend. We want to be in the Bible study. We want to be a good employee. We want to make sure we're doing everything and managing and all the hats and the juggling act and this, that, and Ooh, the other. I can, yeah, yeah, I can hear you on that. Daughter, daughter-in-law, maybe sister-in-law, maybe, I don't know, fill in the blank. Whatever that is, aunt, aunt, you know, whatever, fill it in. Whatever your list is. And usually the lists are way longer than the day ever is, you know, and it usually runs over to two weeks later. Okay. (laughs) But what we have to realize is, and I will admit, this was not an easy realization for me. It took me a long time to get there. We're think of it as we're a well of water and we're so deep. Okay. And we're happy, love giving out water to everybody in our lives. Mm -hmm. But at some point that water going to run out. Okay. Mm -hmm. That will go run dry. And if you ain't putting nothing back in, you ain't gonna have nothing left to give out. Yeah. So think of self-care. It's a very broad term. It is anything that involves caring for the self. You as a person, I don't care if that's taking five minutes to go shut the door and say, if you enter this bedroom, you're playing (laughs) with your life and you're going to leave me alone for five minutes. Okay. Go away. I love you, but go away. If you want me to be sane, you know how we all say mama happy, everybody happy. No, I've come to believe when mama's saying Everybody's saying. <laughs> so if you want me to stay sane, you leave that door alone unless you want to play with your life. Mm-hmm. Go away. I love you, but go away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't care if you're taking a bath. I don't care if you want to eat a meal in peace. I don't care if you want to pee in peace, especially when you're young mama. Okay. You just hope and pray you get to pee in peace one day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> or at least brush your hair and feel human. Okay. That was how I self-cared when my kids were young. Mm -hmm. My kids are older now. They're in school. So I get a lot of time to myself. But what I really want on the weekends, I want to go out with my girlfriends. You get in the babysitter tonight. Sorry. Go watch a movie, have pizza. I'll be home and we'll do whatever next day. So the journey of grief will absolutely make you do self-care or not, whether you want to or not. Mm. Because if you don't, you will land on your butt. Mm -hmm. It will land you on your butt if you don't. And... So I've gotten really comfortable in the last four years of having to do self-care because in grief and a very all-consuming engulfing of your mind, your emotions, your heart, your physical, your mental, your psychological, and grief doesn't stop or not come whether you're able to just sit still with it. Usually, especially when grief is grief is grief and it's hard no matter what, but especially when you're grieving in the middle of being a young, you know, having young kids to take care of as opposed to, you know, 
they're out of the nest and they're on their own. You know, you have time to just focus on you. But I was grieving and having to be a mom and a solo mom and manage the house. So it's not better or worse. It's just a different way to have to go through that journey. And it doesn't make it any less more difficult than anybody else's. It's just, it's a different path. It's a different role. So I had to get really comfortable with taking time for myself and accepting that, you know what? That pile of laundry and those dishes and that bed that needs to be made ain't going nowhere. There is no fairy godmother magic wand that, poof, it's gone. I promise it's still going to be waiting for you. But (laughs) you're going to be able to handle all that if you take whatever for yourself. Either you pray, you journal, you meditate, you go work out, you go take a bath. Whatever that version is that makes you feel you're caring for yourself, you're going to be able to go continue to do what you have to do in a much better place. And... I've had to learn the value of grief because in grief, speaking specifically to that journey, taking time for myself or anyone who's on that journey makes the difference of are you drowning in it or are you having a chance of being able to keep your head above water and have a a hope of being able to just keep swimming? Yeah. And that's just my experience. So, And that's what I've learned in the last four years because that's the other thing I believe in. And I learned how to have to do that and get comfortable with that a long time ago because with a disability, when you do have to think outside the box and do things differently, nine more times than not, nine times out of 10, that involves having resources. Like I had in school, especially, I was the girl that always had a special accommodations. I had extended test time. I had to always be on the front row. I had to have certain equipment or different ways of getting around, not being able to see, depending on where I was at and how my vision was doing and what year we were at. So I got used to that concept of always getting resources for whatever was going on at the time. So absolutely, I'm a big believer in resources. That may be a friend that you talk to. That may be a support group. That may be in this virtual world, even before COVID, uh, maybe a Facebook um, support group that you just do from your home if you don't want to talk to people about it in a more less invasive way. It may be counseling. Oh dear God, I love counseling. Counsel- when I get my house clean, I go to counseling. That's a good week. Okay. <laughs> For this mom. <laughs> so yes, resources, because no matter how much some of us may love Simon and Garfunkel and that song, I'm a rock, I'm an island. Mm, beautiful song doesn't really work in real life, no matter how much we want to believe it. Mm-hmm. Well, I really like, you know, that you said that you can find resources kind of in lots of different places, including online in the virtual world, because we, you know, we're kind of coming out of it now. But, you know, we have been, you know, either on lockdown or this very limited ability to kind of get around and see people. There are a lot of great groups out there. Positively Joy has a community on Facebook and we do life. Yeah, we do life together. So I encourage folks, if they're not already a part, join in. So, yeah, yeah, just just trying to find like-minded. Yes. It could be a book. Like I've had some, I didn't mean to cut you off, but it could be counseling. It'd be It's once again, it's unique. It's individualized because different people relate to different things differently and are comfortable with it, but it could be counseling. It could be a therapist. It could be your doctor. It could be a friend. It could be a family member, but something that helps you wherever you're stuck, or it could be a book. I found several speaking to grief again. I found several boards or groups on Facebook that were grief groups or, you know, just widows or widowers or whatever. And then there's some great books out there. And there's actually a couple of TED Talks on it, believe it or not, as odd as a niche as that may sound, um, Mm -hmm. that I've enjoyed and have found um, good benefit from. And I actually recently started a community group um, for grief as well on Facebook. So that was my next question. So where can people find you in the online world? Yep. I'm on Facebook and Instagram. 
Um, but I also have a website. It's called myheartfeltmeditations.com, where if you want to just go there, you can see all my books. You can get across the banner at the top. You can get access to my author page on Author Central pages. It's called on Amazon and see all the things. You can go straight to Facebook from there. So it's all kind of streamlined and together. But you can find me on Facebook and Instagram. Perfect. And that's under Michaela S. Cox. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Perfect. Michaela, it's been really great talking with you and, yeah. you know, just learning a lot about you and, um, and how you live your life and the fact that your life that you consider, you know, is still a blessing, no matter, no matter what has happened. You know, we, we like to talk about God's faithfulness and mm-hmm. the fact that, you know, to walk in joy is a choice. That goes, as you can say, it's a mindset you're choosing, even though it's hard and there are dark days and some, and especially over the last four years for me, I'm not saying it's been easy, but I have at least tried to find, even if it's a small thing, it doesn't have to be a big thing, a small thing that I know no matter what, there's always something to be grateful for and to be not happy because that's, you know, more um, temporary, but true joy of something to make me still feel positive but see it still goes back to you're choosing that to seek that out and you're choosing to have that mindset to think that way beautiful beautiful well thank you so much for being here we really have appreciated you appreciate you thank you so much thank you thank you for listening to positively joy today go to positivelyjoy.com for inspiration encouragement and past episodes follow the podcast and review and subscribe wherever you go for podcasts. Don't forget to check out our cool merchandise with our new logo. And also on the website, go to the talk tab and leave us a message on what you love about Positively Joy and what you'd like to hear in the future. Again, thanks so much for being with us. Bye for now.